Hi, and welcome back to the East German Fashion History Podcast after our one-week Kurze Pause, or short break. Today we will be discussing the latter half of the 70s of fashion in the German Democratic Republic from 1974 to 1979. And as I know, there's a lot of information to follow. First, we'll recap with major themes from last week. Second, we'll look at highlights for this week. And lastly, we'll delve into the timeline with a brief synopsis for each year. Also, check back on Friday for a new episode of Got a Hot Minute featuring my recommended weekend read and other sources. This week, I'll discuss the exhibition catalog In Grenzen Frei Modefotografie Underground, DDR 1979 bis 1989, translated to in English. Without Borders, Fashion Photography in the Underground, 1979 to 1989. So to recap the last episode, let's review three major takeaways. Number one, Erich Honecker's rise after the death of Walter Ulbricht. Now, Erich Honecker became the new party leader and head of state in the German Democratic Republic. The era of, quote, we work for today, we live for tomorrow, is now over. The GDR wants to refocus their efforts on the needs of the population with a housing construction program being able to supply the demands of consumers and increasing purchasing power. Hanukkah's further standardization of the industry also negatively affects private businesses like the designer Heinz Bormann, known as the Red Dior, who was asked to nationalize his his name and he, nationalize and rename his company to the VEB Magdeburger Damenmoden, or the VEB Magdeburg Women's Fashions. Two DIY clothing. Now, this was a trend which was also popular in the West, and when I surveyed the Mademoiselle and Glamour magazines from 1971 and 1979, there were countless ads for not only knitwear, but especially accompanied with patterns or DIY kits. But in the GDR, this was done not only out of popularity, but especially out of necessity. From sewing and knitting machines, making your own jewelry, paper dresses, to homemade dyeing and printmaking, DIY was quintessential for any fashion-forward GDR wardrobe in the GDR. With the newly state-controlled attempts at homogenization of fashion and clothing production in 1971, we really saw in the last episode how that tension between self-made individuality came at odds with the standardized fashion style they were trying to create. Number three, denim domination. Whether it was Lee or Levi's, the first half of the 70s as well as part of the 60s, denim jeans had become one of the most coveted items and we will see American denim as an ever-growing part of the collective consumer consciousness of East German citizens. Number four, exquisite. In the last episode, we saw their struggle for survival and success of this luxury fashion boutique in the East and their struggle continues. This week, we won't really talk much about Exquisite, but the following week when we go into the 80s, I'll do a deep dive. 
Now this week, we'll look at the one, development of GDR state-owned brand of denim or brands of denim. Two, Barbara Wandel's personal account as a fashion model at Sibylle. Three, the surveillance state and its relationship to new editorial directions, which exhibit really a growing sense of fantasy, irreverence, but also inventiveness. So, 1974. Now, for context, this is really what you need to know politically. By 1974, initiatives to assert East Germany as a strictly socialist nation state within the global sphere are strengthened. There is an amendment to the constitution and it deletes all references to a quote, German nation or German unity with the West and redefines East Germany as a socialist nation state of workers and peasants with a quote, an inseparable constituent part of the socialist community of states. This is at the same time when the energy crisis sends its first shock to the East German economy, which they never recover from. You also continue to see effects of homogenization permeating throughout the fashion industry when the director of the German Fashion Institute announced in Zibilla that, quote, the fashion line representing the fashion model for the respective year and for the corresponding season is worked together with the industry and trade. The directors general of all involved branches confirm the present results and we defend before them the, to the minister. This preparation for the fashion line is the basis for a directive that is binding for everyone. This means that the liability has been decided by all involved in addition to industry and trade and other outstanding positions, the representatives out of the office for standardization, metrology and product testing, as well as the Institute for Industrial Design include this group of experts. So we really see from a top down level a high level of control and standardization when it comes to the GDR fashion line and clothing. There isn't as much freedom, possibly, most likely. So at the same time, state-owned clothing factories continue to try to meet the demands for highly coveted denim jeans and begin with the production of jeans. But instead of calling them that, they call them rivet pants. And we'll see throughout this episode how much of a demand there is for denim and what the East German state does to supply that. So concluding 1974, we have an important, we have an important amendment to the constitution, which designates East Germany as no longer a part of the quote German nation and rather part of a quote socialist nation state. The homogenization of the German fashion industry is felt with an overly standardized and more tightly controlled stance. And meanwhile, the production of denim jeans, which are to be referred to as rivet pants, starts to take place in state-owned factories. 1975. So beginning in 1975, Zibilla really takes on some interesting art directorial nuances. Each issue now features a still-life floral bouquet in the style of a classic Western European painting, which really helps to radiate this sense of glamour and prestige of the magazine. 
and one of the artists, photographers um, accredited for this is the is Elisa Elisabeth Meinecke, who creates these these bouquet mixed media pieces, and I'll feature these on the blog. Now, this is an interesting side note. I know it's a bit random, but it's an interesting side note because for for a point of reference or just for an for an, for a similarity when i was doing my research um i did my master's thesis where i focused on the on the nazi run fashion publication die dama and their pursuit for an aryanized vision of fashion and this is going back 11 years ago so if i were to re-examine this i'd have to update my sources however in my research of going through 10 years of didama and as i progressively went into you know the late 30s the 40s when um goebbels and the nazis really came to power and you see that living and breathing in every part of their visual culture and collective conscious i keep coming across these fashion the a lot of the cover pages of magazines that feature not fashion imagery but they feature instead old gothic paintings from Lucas Cranach who's an artist as well as some baroque and some rococo paintings so it's interesting to see this sense of this obscurity and this inventiveness and both in states where you know propaganda and surveillance were of of a large concern so it's an interesting similarity um and i can delve into that in a a more thematically based podcast after i finish this timeline also at this time you had another photographer come on to the zabilla editorial team his name was rudolf schaefer and he's known for his masterful technical skill and really lends a new look to zabilla one of his first editorials about clothes was called Regan, and it's about viscose fibers, which underlines, and it really shows his expertise in lighting design. It's a two-page spread, and it features flowy maxi dresses, flowing maxi dresses with floral and polka dot patterns, and it looks like as if they're almost glinting with iridescence. It, it looks quite magical. It'll be at, posted to the blog. And these patterns really illuminate from the page. And then you also have something very angelic about the, the model. So it's quite beautiful. Another aspect, um, now, which we haven't covered, is I want to talk about is modeling. And I'm going to focus on her, an account from her name was Barbara Wandelt, and she was one of the main mannequins who had modeled at Zabilla up until 1975. And this is her personal account, which I've tried to best to try my best to translate. So she says that Zabilla was always sold out or passed down from hand to hand. You would get 50 marks in the 70s and 80s for a cover image and 75 marks a day. And there wasn't as much of a, there wasn't as much petty drama. There was a lot more camaraderie amongst the models. And she talks about herself saying that, you know, her type or her style, she was more of a sporty type of model. She was always wearing pants and loose pullovers. You, and you would have to wear things that were high quality that, you know, fit your skin and hair coloring and complexion. 
She talks about how when she looks at kids today, there is so much uniformity with ripped jeans and sneakers because without any individuality and nothing that complements one's figure. And even after all these years, she still thinks that Zabilla was a very sophisticated, inspiring publication. It wasn't just about fashion. It was about culture, art with interesting like biographical essays on people that she looked up to. And it was quite inspiring and exciting. And you didn't have what you have today now and what you'll always have. You didn't have the distraction of advert heavy advertisements. You, you really just had the magazine in its purity. Concluding 1975, so we start to see unconventional creative decisions taking place, like featuring floral bouquets in the style of classic European painting. And you also see this as a possible exploration of creative avenues under heightened political tensions. The photographer Rudolf Schäfer comes onto the scene and is known for his his beautiful lighting technique and his controlled in-studio environments. And Barbara Wandelt leaves her post as a model. And she also remarks how um, stationary poses fade for models as the photographers look for more active, active pictures that show a lot of movement and light. 1976. Now this is going to get interesting because to provide a little bit of political context, this is probably one of the most, and you've heard of it, one of the most unforgettable aspects of East Germany and its history was the Ministerium für Staatssicherheit, the head for minist- the head ministry of for state security or also known as the Stasi. This was run by Erich Milke and he proposed an extensive compendium in 1976 he proposes an extensive compendium of psychological warfare methods called zersetzung um, this was a pseudoscientific term for what would now be called gaslighting or literally meaning biodegradation and just to preface the stasi had been around since 1950 but they changed their measures of of how they were to approach people that they found suspicious and they did that without they they went they moved away from torture to using psychological psychological warfare as a new method of of getting information out of their citizens now the stasi had specific target groups who they thought were a threat to east germany and those included number 1 associations of people making collective visa applications for travel abroad Number two, artist groups critical of the government. Three, religious opposition groups. Four, youth subculture groups. And we'll get into pug, East German punk subculture next week and how that is a part of it. And lastly, you have groups that support all the above. So 1976 was, for many people, considered the Bleiner Zeit, or heavy times. The utopia of a better society had deteriorated after the failure of various economic strategies, and this catapulted the country into crisis mode. There was a decline of industries caused by poor investments, increasing withdrawals for military production, and this is sad to note an overall neglect of old buildings and cities and that can be seen through the photography 
During the same year, you had the expatriation of the famous musician, even today, Wolf Biermann, and political, the political protests that followed and a surmounting amount of citizens that listened and followed to this really exacerbated political tensions. There was subsequential persecution of dissenting thinkers throughout the increasingly openly repressive state power. And there was a forced emigration of numerous artists and intellectuals. This then led to the failure of the reform plans. All the while, Sibylla endures with its propagandistic commitment to the belief of progress across all industries and couples this sentiment with more romanticized perspectives in the traditional art world. And again, it was was photographers like Sibylla Bergman's confident yet melancholy portraits with just a nod to fashion that were that left a lasting impression to its readers. Her editorial Modelle Circus Z or Circus Z, Circus Z shows models balancing on a globe ball and could be seen or was read in the source that I got this from, which is the Sibylle Zeitschrift für Modern Kultur, as a sense of fatalism that was felt throughout. 1977. Motherhood and maternity are popular themes in Zabilla, and they continue to be into the 80s. And Zabilla featured a, an editorial called Siblings by Evelyn Richter, and it really features um, Brigitte Voigt, who f- exposes an empathetically subjective view of the photographer, and it features her siblings. Thomas Kreis uh, begins to work at Sibylle on the editorial team and really talks about this time and how he really was looking, he was really a jack of all trades from photo, from being a photo editor to a copywriter and even a designer. He says, quote, we were all other, we were, we were also stylists and makeup artists and sure that was unique for the fashion magazine world, but how would we have known? So within the editorial team, he was responsible for fashion spreads and photographs of men, children, and older people, or older people. And this was really to give a socialist personality of expression um, and more to this fashion magazine and to this culture magazine. In the fifth issue of Zabilla in 1977, Evelyn Richter, has features a picture cabaret titled Mit einem Bein auf dem Boden der Wirklichkeit or With One Foot in Reality. It's a double-page photograph and is ultimately a manipulation of perception. If you were to casually glance at this image, it looks as if there was a self-imposed Trump loy featuring students and academics at the Karl Marx University in Leipzig, playfully posing in front of a socialist realist mural by the professor Werner Tübke. And it really evokes a sense of freedom and and reverence within a socialist realist mural. Now, was this an act of political staging within a tightly controlled and and the oppressive zeitgeist 
of the late 70s East Germany? Is this professing a sense of freedom despite the harrowing reality of increased intolerance of political opinions? Or am I simply reading too much into this? Now, take a look for it yourself. Take a look for it. Um, I will have it on the blog, most likely, definitely by tomorrow. And you can take a look at this image and see what you read from it. And on a note in terms of textiles and fibers, which we really haven't gotten into this episode, in terms of everyday dress um, style and comfort, comfort really still reigns supreme. And it's really the light and flexible synthetic fibers that continue to dominate the market throughout. If you go to HO stores or if you went to Exquisite, it was always synthetic fibers that were, and fabrics that were the most popular. Now, concluding 1977, Sibylla's editorial motherhood becomes the central theme, but there's also a spirit of reverence and inventiveness without ever being too rebellious. And you also have the talented editorial, you also have Thomas Greis's remarks on the talented editorial team and the many hats they had to wear. Lastly, synthetic fabrics and clothes continue to dominate the market, and it's really comfort is, is key over style, if you were to look at everyday dress. 1978. So Utamala at this point in time, we talked about her last episode, really thrives at Sibylla, and it's, it's her highly creative staging and scenery which lends a beauty and a grandeur to the publication. Her photographs are, one could see, as a vehicle for escape from an increasingly tense and dark atmosphere of the GDR. In the editorial, Der nächste Winter kommt bestimmt, translated to Winter is Definitely Coming, it's the fourth, which is part of the fourth issue of, of 1978. Mala features black white and color photographs of models on a wintry getaway and features you know these bucolic scenes of the mannequins playing with cute land animals while sporting patterned and patterned and denim flowy skirts you have chunky turtlenecks sherpa jackets wool jackets and high length knee length boots and so it's it's really beautiful and wintry and one could even see this as, as really a timeless wintry, timeless wintry editorial. Now, Mala really brought a high-octane style of imagination and playfulness to the magazine, and her locations were usually simply structured. Sometimes she featured just, a, just pictures of fog, a shimmering pool of water, or a plastic wrapper being unfolded, but it really expresses something dreamy and ultimately ethereal. But it's also interesting to note that every photographer had their ideal of what a woman, of what the image of of a woman was in their own view. So it wasn't really, there wasn't one specific image or one specific icon. While Günther Rösslers were very feminine, uh, Sibylle Bergemanns were really secretive, Malas had something romantic and sensual. That same year, uh, Schäfer features 
it furthers his technique, furthers his techniques, and features um, the editorial Blütenfest or Flowerfest, featuring three models. And to point out, one of the models was black or POC, and she's also in a in a flowy dress. And they're all all these models are lying flat with varying degrees of height. And just to point out, and I can look into this for in the blog, I don't have it confirmed, but it seemed as if in the 70s, that's really when there were more models of color in the East German fashion magazines. Now, alongside these more dreaming escapist editorials we just discussed, Sibylla continues to play on socialist themes of industriousness with the series Autogenies, and that focuses on the maintenance, maintenance and care of the Trabant, and it's fo- photographed by Roger Mellis. Now, in terms of the development of denim jeans in the GDR, now they'd been producing, quote, rivet pants for a few years now, but in 1978, they finally got around to branding them under specific labels such as Boxa, Vizent, Shanti and Goldfuchs, their quality leaves something to be desired. They definitely don't match the originals that you would find in the West, um, but they are they are every they are to be found everywhere. And I've actually included a couple accounts about the look, feel, and fit of these GDR of the GDR's very own branded jeans. So Doris H. from Gustrau says that she, quote, I had a pair of boxer jeans that were quite stiff and not washed out. So I used to brush them to get the same effect and I brushed it like crazy. They cost 100 marks, which for an apprentice like me with a cross income, with a gross income of 190 marks was a lot. Sabine L. from Wittberg says that there were various gene labels from one production, from one production from one state-owned company. Boxa and Vizend were the most well-known, but Bison, Bison and Goldfuchs, um, those came from Zwickau. And they were usually around 120 marks. Vizend was a bit cheaper, and after washing them once, they looked better. Now, despite these, this newly branded effort at developing their denim program, on November 29th, employees of the Academy of Sciences received an offer to buy the special sale of American Levi Strauss jeans, as Honecker had signed on to buy one million pair of these Levi Strauss jeans. At the same time, the GDR was also, this is, interesting to note. At the same time, the GDR was also in a lot of hot water because of some identical, um, because of some copywriting and plagiarism plagiarism issues of having identical proportions and the design of their pocket seams of their Vizent jeans to the Levi's jeans. So concluding 1978... Utamala becomes more becomes an established name and photographer at Sibylle. Rudolf Schäfer's editorial Flower Fest features a black uh, model. And I'm not sure if this is the first time, but again, this is the first time I've seen a POC, a black POC model in all of my research thus far. 
and I can look that up for you. And the GDR has now branded their various denim jeans at this time in 1978. And lastly, Despite this, Honeka still signs a contract for the purchase of 1 million Levi Strauss jeans. And this is still while you have this concern of plagiarism with their Vizent jeans against the Levi's jeans. 1979. Now, since I've spent most of my time focusing on changes happening politically and at Sibylla in the latter half of the 70s, here's a little about the mainstream style you would find in the streets. So you had, you still had this ever blossoming 70s romanticism from the early 70s continuing into the late 70s. And there's really still this nostalgic vibe of folkloric prints, puffed sleeves, lace inspired everything, sort of romanticizations of farmers and our agrarian dress. Um, you also had a good amount of cultural appropriation and really taking styles and, and ideas and aesthetics from Roma, from everything from Romani gypsies to Chinese to Bedouin and Mongolian aesthetics, which are trending throughout East Germany. So it's not as much of a closed off state as one would, one has possibly read about. Another major influence on GDR fashion in the 70s and into the 80s was the Russian designer Slava Tsaitsu. Tsaitsu, who was a guest designer in the GDR. One of his most beloved trends that especially inspired menswear of that time were embroidered jackets. Slava would spend, would make his rounds to various state-owned factories and fashion schools and delighted his interpreter with quick, quick small sketches and would also advise on advise fashion-conscious citizens on their wardrobe. His creations would usually be described as creative, unusual, extravagant, and definitely a quote-unquote eye-catcher. I'll have more on this and his works on the blog. Now, despite the design shortcomings and the availability of Levi's jeans, the GDR continues to advertise its own brand of, this was another name, the Shanti jeans, spelled S-H-A-N-T-Y, to be available for purchase in youth clothing stores with a planned production of 110,000. And I, in the next episode, I'm probably going to go into the origins of a lot of these names because Goldfox, okay, Goldfox, Bison, Viz, but Vizent and Shanti, I don't know where they're getting these names and I don't know what they may be appropriating it from. And I'd like to wrap up this episode and talk a bit about the Stasi and its monitoring of Zabilla. Now, according to Zabilla's editor, editors Monica Opel and Claudia Engelbrecht, apparently they had they the Stasi rarely had an interest in Zabilla, even though many news many other newspapers were highly scrutinized. And when both editors went into their own Stasi files, which many citizens can still do today at the Stasi archive, really nothing was mentioned about the magazine. So it's interesting to note there was a certain level of of scrutiny and surveillance, and then there was really no interest and other levels. But it goes without saying, though, that their editor-in-chief, Yvonne Freya, who worked 
up until the 80s at Zabilla had to had still had to defend their work against the Women's Commission and against the SED Central Committee in critical situations. So concluding 1979 and this decade, a DIY DIY vibe filled with folklore motifs, 70s romanticism and cultural appropriation pervaded through the wardrobes of fashion-conscious citizens and youths of the GDR. Slava Tsaito, with his extravagant embroidered jacket, jackets, gained influence, especially in menswear. And Sibylla has the privilege of a measured amount of freedom under the Stasi's watchful eye. And that's it for today. So next week, uh, we will get into the 80s, focusing on more, focusing more on fashion surveillance and the ever-growing punk and underground street style. And again, danke, I'll see you next week, and be sure to catch the blog tomorrow.